0: Church of Roy, an armchair All-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWald.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Church of Roy podcast. I'm your host, as always, Blazer's Edge Associate Editor, Steve DeWald. We're actually going to talk a little bit about basketball this week, but before we get into that, I'm joined by our co-host, as always, Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing today?
3: It's a beautiful evening, Steve. Ready to talk some hoops,
2: man. I know. Uh, my house did not burn down for the Fourth of July. The, actually, my neighborhood did pretty well with the fireworks ban. Nothing good. too, nothing too out of control. Uh, still, I am making the journey with my daughter. Being so, we built her a real bed. She's no longer in a crib, and she definitely has like learned the sneak attack to crawl into the bed in the middle of the night and scare the bejesus out of me. So. You know, I haven't got a lot of sleep in the last three, four days, but the, the plus side to here, a little quick parent tangent, is she will go back to sleep if I tell her a story. The plus side is she does not have a vast knowledge of movies. So I basically just I've worked through two of the Lord of the Rings movies now, plot point wise, to get her go back to sleep. So you know, she's going to be very confused in a few years when she gets into Lord of the Rings. I hope so. Just
3: uh, don't tell her about the summer of 2016 and the Blazers' uh, <laughs> yeah. free agency choices, or she might have some nightmares. Yeah, I know I do.
2: I'm going to keep it light. I'm going to keep. I would rather deal with you know Gollum and Mordor instead of uh, you know Evan Turner's contract or Alan Krabs. So good, good move. So, you know, we I, I suggest everybody if you want our take on the Billups hiring and and, you know, the real side of it to go back and listen to our podcast from last week, moving forward. I mean, it Chauncey Billups is the head coach of the trailblazers now. And, and we want to talk a little bit about what that could mean on the floor. Uh, you know, not a huge track record for Chauncey Billups as a coach, obviously a very storied career, uh, well-respected as a commentator, and was part of a Clippers team that really turned things around last year after their, you know, unceremonious exit from the bubble. So Mm -hmm. a few things he did talk about and that we do know from just some of the stuff he said when he was in L.A., if you get a chance, I put an article up about last week about they did a video series and kind of breaking down, you kind of you just see his mind work when he's watching basketball, which I think, yes, there's a lot of coach speak in there, but there's some stuff that is really helpful. So, Brian, what do you expect on the offensive side of the ball after hearing some of those comments and looking at kind of what the Clippers kind of did last year?
3: Sure. You know, he really beat the drum on sharing the ball and making it more of an egalitarian type offensive system. Uh, I think that was reflected through Kawhi and Paul George's usage rates and, and the way they were um, had more of a priority to pass the ball to maybe the main two guys in Portland's offense, right? um and you know for me when it comes offensively the blazers and i've i've kind of harped on that in this pod that i just don't see there being a ton of improvement as far as two small guards being your best two offensive players mm-hmm. but you know it's it's tough to beat that high pick and roll with damian lillard but hopefully this can raise the team's floor in the playoffs and that's what i'm really hoping that this change in potential outlook can do. You see in the playoffs over the last few years that, you know, actually last year their offensive rating went up. Granted, it was a shorter sample size. Mm -hmm. We would like to see and It's just a first round matchup versus the Nuggets. But historically you've seen a, a dip in offensive rating, which might not be wholly out of line with what you see in the playoffs. But I'm hoping that maybe you can see just a little higher floor. Maybe the ceiling doesn't go up as much. But the floor goes up because teams can't just sell out
0: to stop 263 guards. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Green Room. Green Room is a live audio only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS or Android App Store. Get it done, peeps. Yeah, I, I agree
2: with a lot of what you said, and I think more so than just the team scheme, I think also you got to focus on the Blazers, I think, when they're at their best and when they were at their best under Terry Stotts. You know, we talked a lot about ball movement, and, and I think Terry Stotts did want to play more of that free-flowing game, but as, he, as his tenure went on with the Blazers and there was that comfort level with Damian Lillard and maybe some of Damian Lillard's Maybe perception of the rest of the roster and what he had to do on offense maybe pushed him further into more isolation ball, less passing. I mean, the Blazers have been near the bottom of the league in assist numbers for a couple of years, and that's not mm-hmm. to mean their offense is bad. I mean, isolation for C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard on most nights is great. But I think if they really do buy into this, I think we're going to see – a better brand of basketball, I think, like you said, I don't think you can top out much higher efficiency wise, but like yep. you said, the floor probably comes up overall, especially in tougher matchups. Cause like you said, you're going to have a tougher time shutting down just two smaller guards potentially than if everybody's involved. And I do wonder how it will impact some of the other guys like Ennis Cantor, if he returns Carmelo Anthony, if he returns, which we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But if you were to pick one player that might benefit the most from Billups being on board, and I think we might be on the same page on this, but if there's one player you could pick just right now, who do you think is going to benefit the most from this Billups Clippers type system?
3: It's got to be Nurkic, right? Called out by name. Um, He has shown the passing chops to potentially be more of a facilitator. Um, You know, he's – obviously angling for a larger role, which he made very clear at the end of, end of last year. So I think he's clearly the guy. Um, you know, I do wonder though, because we go back to the fence in the early era of, of Terry and, and how much ball movement there was. And it seemed like watching it, you know, every game year to year is kind of a slide. And I wonder, will Portland be able to stay disciplined and and kind of meet this, Phillips's vision for how he wants this offense to perform, or will this be a team that goes back to old habits? Because I'm in the camp where I think the roster is going to look very similar mm-hmm. the longer this offseason goes. So, is this a team that will truly be able to sustain a, a change on that end, or will they revert back to how they played the last couple of years? I, real
2: quick, I want to address who I think we're on the same page with you, sir. Yes. Yeah, I, yep. I think him being brought up by name. I don't know if this really plays into it, but you know Chauncey Billups is one of the most high-profile coach clutch clients. Yusuf Nurkish is obviously a high-profile clutch clutch client. Um, I think that
1: welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like Forge FX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. that could play a
2: part of it but I don't think I don't I don't think that's too much but what I did was surprised by is when you have Billups on camera and he's breaking down film in those video series you would think a team that has a bunch of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard those guys would be routinely brought up but one guy he hit on on every single one of those videos was Zubac mm-hmm. and really Nurk does everything Zubac does but better and if he can really work him in and they really, what I thought was interesting is talking about beating backline pressure with a, with a rolling big man mm-hmm. and just some of the stuff that we've seen Nurk really thrive at when he's moving towards the basket. And so especially when Maurice Harkless was dialed in, he's in the dunker spot, cutting baseline and Nurk is finding that guy. And I think when you're talking about breaking down backline pressure that, that Bills continually hit on in those video series, I think NERC is positioned to play really well in that setup. And I think also, too, you put a different guy in NERC's spot, and maybe if Cantor is on the floor, Cantor's that guy operating out of the dunker spot. So we'll see how that works going
3: forward. In the, As, in, go in the In the NBA now, too, secondary playmaking is crucial. You see the mm-hmm. best teams in the league have multiple playmakers on the court, With Portland, you're really not gonna fight on the wing based on how the roster's currently constructed. I think Norman Powell's a guy, you know, assuming he comes back, that he can get you a little something off a dribble handoff and putting his head down and going to the rack, but he's truly at his best, probably in the corner. He's one of the most efficient shooters from there this this year. And so if you can't find that secondary playmaking, uh, you know, a bigger secondary ball handler, I think Nurk's your best option. And so it makes sense to get him involved well, I think he, even more than it has been.
2: NBA history really just in the last 12 years really just bears out what you're saying right there is if you subtract LeBron led teams and Kawhi's Raptors team, those teams, yes, they had a bunch of star players. Those warriors teams had a bunch of star players, but secondary playmaking put the icing on the cake for a lot of those teams. You look at what Draymond Green did. You look at what that Spurs yeah. pace, true pace and space basketball. That's all based on secondary playmaking. And, You know, if the Blazers can replicate that, like you said, raises the entire floor for this team and really raises the floor for the postseason because, like you said, it's harder to take more stuff away when there's more guys involved and more guys setting the table. I do want to circle back to the idea that, you know, are the Blazers going to slide back into, you know, their bad habits? And this is something early on when we kind of talked about, you know, Terry Stotts might be in trouble here, and this was a couple months ago when some of these reports started surfacing. Me and you always came from the camp, I think, where the Blazers might not get a better coach than Terry Stotts, but what they will get is a different voice. Mm -hmm. And I do think, at least for one season, I think we will see that pay off in Portland. We'll see if Billups is up to the task. We'll see if the roster is built around Damian Lillard properly. But as far as just having something different go on and just hearing that different tone, I think that might do something for this team as far as avoiding some of those bad habits. But let's face it. A lot of these problems weren't just based on bad habits. A lot of this has to come down to roster construction, which that's a totally different animal that I kind of want to jump into now, which we had me Perry and Kendall had a chance to talk about it. It seems like, we can't escape the Ben Simmons probability, and I did want to talk to you a little bit about it. There was a little bit of movement on the Ben Simmons front, not from the Blazers, but it does sound like the Sixers are receiving calls on Ben Simmons. The, the rumored report, we saw it from a couple outlets, was Malcolm Brogdon in a first-round pick for Ben Simmons. Uh, that was apparently rejected, or obviously rejected. We didn't see news on a completed trade. Brian, what do you think of the Ben Simmons thing? Do you think a C.J. McCollum-based trade is enough to get it done? And if it
3: is, is it something you want to see moving forward for the Blazers? So first off, um, I felt like Brogdon in a first-round pick was pretty decent value. You know, Brogdon's a crafty combo guard, tall enough that he can play the two comfortably, but can also slot into a lot of different lineups. And I kind of like what he'd bring to that team. I think it just shows that – Sixers are not settling for a trade. I think they're still high on Simmons, even if sort of the narrative out there is that his value's down. I'm not so sure that, that it is, but uh, well, Daryl surprised some people before, so so we'll see. Um, as far as him becoming a Blazer, um, I don't think CJ's going to be enough if Brogdon at first doesn't do it. I have a hard time seeing a CJ a trade based around McCollum working, I think you'd have to include Rocco, which might give some people some heartburn. You know, he was a pretty expensive pickup for Portland Two round picks just to snag him. Um, it might be Rocco and you get George Hill back or something might be your best case scenario, which frankly, I'd probably, I wouldn't hang up immediately. Um, to me, just the, the idea of having a perimeter, or an elite perimeter defender on the team just intrigues me so much to have somebody that you can throw at he can literally guard, you know, almost one through five. And to to have a that kind of player on on this roster, I think would you know he has obvious offensive shortcomings. I think defensively he's absolutely elite and if I could do it, I mean if I if there's a way to get him here without giving up the farm, I'm doing it, man. Yeah,
2: I think it's interesting to say you know, bring up the Roco thing and you're talking about the draft capital that you you spent to get Robert Covington here. Because if there is any future picks involved in a trade that involves McCollum and Robert Covington, you're getting into that threshold that you see for, you know, a top-line superstar. Now, granted, everything changes year to year, but if there's any picks, you're talking, you know, up to three first-round picks and two good – you know, one really good player and one, you know, solid role player – I mean that's that's you're knocking on the door of a James Harden Jim, Jimmy Butler type trade at that point you're a few pick swaps away mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see if that's measured obviously you're dealing with the sunk cost element when you're talking about you know you already have Roko you've already given up those assets but I I just really wonder you know, if they do go after Ben Simmons and they do put this big package together, they are going to have to go out and find shooting. And everybody's looking for shooting right sure. now, and, and especially contending teams. You look at, you know, this Suns team and really the Bucks to a lesser extent, the role players they go after are all shooters or can shoot the ball for the most part. And the Blazers just don't have the cap flexibility, even if you bring in Ben Simmons and swap out CJ McCollum, the money's the wash, mm-hmm. basically. So I don't know if you want to be competing with those other teams to try to fill in the roster. I am more interested, and in, granted we haven't heard it, but if Brandon, if Brandon Ingram is at all available from the Pelicans, that is the name I keep coming back to, and I know it would take a lot to get him. And you're talking about probably multiple firsts and C.J. McCollum and potentially something else. Now, granted, you'll probably get Ingram and something back. But mm-hmm. I feel like he has upside on both sides of the ball. He can slot in with the existing roster pretty seamlessly. And you have a chance to play him up a position or down a position. And on that Blazers roster and you're talking about potentially going small in certain aspects of the game and putting Covington at center and Ingram at power forward. I think he's super interesting. Is there anybody out there that we haven't heard about that, you know, is just kind of kicking around in your mind when you fi- fire up the trade machine? Hey guys,
0: it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Trutra Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS or Android App Store. Get it done, peeps. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts, oh yeah, to USDA Prime, to -to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks is everything you need to fire up the grill. These are steakhouse quality steaks, aged to perfection. They make it so easy, each order is flash frozen and delivered directly, satisfaction guaranteed, or your money back. Enjoy their butter, tender filet mignon, Mm. hearty Kansas City steaks, I'm getting hungry as I'm talking, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to kansascitysteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's kansascitysteaks.com with the code SD.
3: Um, I like the Brandon Ingram call out. I mean, he's still only 23, which it feels like he's been in the league forever, but if you were to snag Ingram and, you know, God forbid, uh, Dame leaves, you could still build the next iteration of the team around that guy. Um, he's mm-hmm. a guy that you could slot different players around him. I think he's pretty malleable with his game and the way he's able to, to fit. Where Simmons, you have to have a very structured um, mm-hmm. and to your point. You have to have a ton of shooting around, around Simmons if you're going to compete. So I, I love the Brandon Ingram name, whether the Pelicans yeah. are interested. I mean, that's a young team for the most part. If slotting in a 30-year-old CJ for 23-year-old <laughs> Ingram makes sense on their end, I don't know. But there is a little bit of a weird fit between him and Zion. I think you can kind of see that at times next year, which I think is why they're bringing in a different coach to try to solve some of those issues before yeah. they before they ship him out. But, you know, at the end of the day, CJ is just kind of difficult to value in my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. I think more than a lot of players he is. Just I think his value might be more – in tune with what a team has on their roster and how they can protect him a little bit. And I think his injury history might scare people away. So I, mm-hmm. I struggle to find a lot of good, you know, one-to-one trades with with teams yeah. and even three teamers that make sense for everybody involved with, with their timeline and, and his.
2: Yeah. And just to, you know, put a bow on the Sixers talk here. What concerns me as far as why I'm not putting a lot of hope into a potential Ben Simmons trade is a Malcolm Brogdon Steph Curry backcourt makes a lot more sense than a CJ McCollum Steph Curry backcourt. So if the Sixers are balking at that type of deal, I, I from the Pacers apparently, I I'm really thinking a McCollum based trade with the Blazers probably off the table as of right now. Yeah. And like you said, I think there's a big disconnect on what the media thinks Ben Simmons's trade value is and what Daryl Morey and maybe the rest of the league thinks uh, Ben Simmons value is. So, and and, you know, this could just be a move by the Pacers to make sure to their fan base, they're saying, you know, Hey, we're going out and trying to make this deal um, whether or not it's based in reality or not. So, Getting away a little bit from, you know, the trade talk, there is going to be some actual basketball that involves one very important Portland Trailblazer here in a couple of weeks. The field is set for the Olympics. We know when when Team USA's first game is. Brian, first, how excited are you to see Damian Lillard, and where do you see him in the hierarchy of that Team USA? Like, is he – for me, he's the clear-cut number two star on the team behind – kevin durant and then i I think the field is the gap between one and two is probably bigger than it is from two to three after dame but i think those are the top two stars on this team
3: yeah to me i think it's one a one b with uh with dame and durant i think durant's he's shown throughout his career he's comfortable playing off stars um i think he'll be more than willing to let take a back seat for several possessions and just let dame cook um those are the two kind of from a lot of what you're, you're hearing out of USA Basketball, is that those guys were kind of the two pillars, right, and kind of the foundation of this team. And and I think they're going there with the expectation to lead. And you know, Dame's comfortable in, in that role, obviously. And so it's hard to say he's not going to take a backseat to Durant just because Durant's such a scoring talent at his size. I mean, he's got to get his shots. But I think Dame's going to be right there as far as his involvement in the offense yeah it's going
2: to be really cool to watch him play in this type of showcase where we've seen him really show out in the all-star games the last couple yep. years and then to add a more competitive element in this olympic format if there's a team that's going to hang with him you're talking about damian damian lillard being on the stage to potentially like really capture the entire nation's mm-hmm. attention with some some or the world's attention for that matter with some late game heroics so USA's group, it's a 12-team field. So there's there's three other teams with Team USA. They have France, the Czech Republic, and Iran in their group. And that's where they'll open. They open July 25th at a bright and early 5 a.m. Pacific time for, for us here on the West Coast. So um, obviously, it's going to be a matchup with, with France, who might be the second-best team in this field. I think you can make that argument. But more importantly... I want to get into some of the matchups you're looking forward to. Obviously that opening matchup against former teammate, Nick Batum stands out right there for me, Brian. Is there any team out there that you're watching besides team USA to, to maybe be the heel to team USA or actually probably team USA is probably the heel here. Cause they're just so dominant, but, but, but who's, who's the other team you're kind of yeah, watching. If
3: you're just limiting it to group a um, I, I'm really looking forward to the matchup with France. You hit on Batum. They have some NBA players. I'm curious to see, how they manage Gobert? Are they gonna go small and try to just shoot them off the floor like we've seen teams try to do in the NBA? Or are they gonna try to get, you know, Bam or or uh Draymond just to try to bang with them down low and, and go that route. I'm just kinda curious to see like just just similar to how most teams play the jazz, is they're gonna what do you do with Gobert there? And and will usa's shooting be enough just to make him a non-factor and they just roll him or is he able to impact the game in other ways
2: yeah i think what is interesting for just the group a thing is i i would say team usa is probably most vulnerable when you're facing you know looking at traditional centers so france obviously you have rudy gobert in iran you have Haddadi, who is kind of flirted with the nba but he's just a monster of a human being like he is seven, five looks like every bad guy in a John wick movie. (laughs) So he, uh, he, it'll be interesting to see how they manage those two guys. I mean, obviously I don't think they're going to present too much of a problem with a ran, but, but those are, those are some fun matchups to kind of see how they game that going forward. Now opening up to the rest of the field, is there any game past the group stage that you're really dying for the Team USA to play against and potentially see some of those matchups.
3: Uh, I think playing Australia would be fun. You know, there's a bunch of NBA guys on on that roster, Patty Mills and Joe Ingles. Even though they won't have Simmons, there's still a ton of NBA NBA experience <laughs> on that team, and yeah. and I feel like those guys are just scrappy, those Down Under boys. And I'm not even mm-hmm. just saying this to make Adrian happy. That's a you know the basketball culture down there is very gritty, and I don't, I don't think they'll ever think they're out of a game. So if I was on upset watch, I think Australia is right there, which might not be the first team that a lot of people go to, but it's a team that I'm kind of keeping an eye on.
2: I, I would say the teams that I'm rooting for that are aren't Team USA. I think it is Australia. I think they just have a fun collection of guys. Patty Mills, uh, always fun to watch. Great professional, great leader on and off the court mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, kind of just the Jekyll and Hyde of all centers in the NBA basically is Aaron Baines where he's like either just bombing threes on you or, or he's missing everything. Yeah. So I'm Trick interested to see what Aaron Baines shows. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I, I think for the Blazers, I really want to see a matchup against Argentina. I mm. want to see Dame go at Campazo again after just the playoffs ended against the Nuggets, I want to see what Dame can do when he's got good teammates around mm-hmm. him, and see and just really kind of see if he's going to
3: take him behind the woodshed in this one. I believe uh, Argentina's two as well in the FIBA ranking, so if anyone's going to give them a run, I think it'd be Argentina. If They're not two; they're they're up there. <laughs> Don't take my yeah, word for yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that, so, that whole Group C is really interesting. You know, cause you have Argentina mm-hmm. and Spain, and then you have Slovenia with. Luca. Well, I would just say just Spain in general. I think
2: you can just call them the bla- the, the team of Blazers past. I mean, you're potentially – this roster is, I believe, going to cut down to 12, and they'll have a couple reserves that make it out there. But as of right now, you're looking at potentially Pau Gasol, who never actually suited up but was in Portland for a little while, Sergio Rodriguez, Rudy Fernandez, and Victor Claver. So I mean you have a lot of guys that you're going to go hey I remember that guy. I mean outside obviously everybody knows the Casal brothers but you're going to see Sergio out there, you're going to see Rudy, you're going to see Victor Claver. You're going to see these guys that are all very familiar. It'll be interesting to see if this Spain this team from Spain can really put together one last magical run because this is kind of an end of an era for a lot of those guys as far as the Casal brothers and you know Sergio and Rudy aren't getting any younger either. Yep. Looks like Spain's number 2 by the way. I had that off but but and then also obviously i mean the the other top line players luka in this field they they snuck into the to the to the field ousting lithuania and demontis sabonis and jonas valančiūnas so it'll be interesting to see if luka can can carry a squad deep into the medal round or not i mean so. it'll be
3: really fun to watch luka in these olympics he already dominates nba level athleticism and talent i wonder what he's going to do to some of these other squads that don't have (laughs) the same level of perimeter defense and, and quickness. Right. Mm.
2: And then I I think finally, if we are going to talk about this Olympic field, I think it's important to talk about the team that isn't going to be there, that I am incredibly disappointed that they did not qualify. And that is team Canada. I've been excited, you know, going back a decade, watching this team, Canada, team Canada team kind of come together and develop and then for them to fall short in this Olympics is just so disappointing. Like, so they lost to the Czech Republic over the weekend. They were one of the last teams out of the field. But you're talking about Team Canada had the second most NBA players on their roster mm-hmm. outside of Team USA. And for them to not be in the field, I, you got to think that sets back that. I mean, that's like on the level of Team USA soccer not making the World Cup a couple of years ago as far as I'm concerned.
3: Yeah, you have to think that's the last time in a while that – they're not going to qualify. I mean, you just look at that roster, and it's hard to believe. You have RJ Barrett and who oh, Anthony Bennett. Is this, is this yeah. the radio? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what year is this? Still, still kicking. <laughs> yeah, but you know Dwight Powell. Wiggins. you got some guys out there, and and then there's there's some pretty good players coming up too. So I, I think that they'll be fine here the next two Olympics. But it is disappointing to see them not not make it this year. Uh, to get to their credit, I mean, obviously it's probably a much different story if
2: SGA is healthy and playing, yeah. but. But I, uh, it is disappointing. I think if there's one team that's really going to push Team USA in the next couple Olympics, it is Team Canada. So to see them not in the competition is a huge bummer for me. Sure. Um, so after the start of this, I mean, it's hard to believe it's already here, and I kind of want to wrap up with this. This is my bread and butter, my favorite part of the year. But we're in July. We're less than a month away from the NBA draft. The Blazers do not have a pick. But as I outlined kind of in my draft guide, this is not uncharted territory for the Blazers under Neil O'Shea. This has happened on two other occasions. In 2014, largely because of trades that were made prior to O'Shea's time with the team, the Blazers did not have a pick on that night. In 2016, also did not have a pick. The Blazers did trade back in and took Jake Lehman. I guess I should start here. Do you expect the Blazers to get back in to this process on draft night?
3: I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but I'm also not necessarily expecting them to. Um, with the way the teams currently and in their arc and their timeline, if they're giving up any future assets that could be used on a win now player, you know, it's, it's probably not the direction they're gonna go. Granted, second round picks have historically not carried a ton of weight. And so it might not preclude them from from making a big move or, or bringing in a win now guy through trade. But I think they might be a little soft on the trigger this year versus prior years, just with the real feeling in Rip City that you, we need to win now. What do you think? Are you, you you have to at least have that hope if you're the draft guy at, at uh, Blazers Edge and you got to crank out some articles, you got to have a have a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, hey, a, I'm trying, trying
2: might, to be. I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine. All right. So I am a little biased, but I do. I am trying to put that aside because I do think it does make sense for the Blazers to get back into this process, mainly because as Damarang highlighted in a video, uh, if you don't subscribe to his video stream, you should on YouTube, but he basically highlighted the Blazers have a bunch of money tied up into like six or seven guys. And just from a roster standpoint, you need to add these, these really cheap contracts, just from a matter of having a body and meeting roster minimums. And the best way to do that a lot of the times is these second-round picks, guys that you can bounce between a G League affiliate, which the Blazers don't have, but they can assign him to one. Um, bring him back and forth and, and try to develop them in-house because, you know, long-term, there is going to be a team past Dames Prime, and, and now's the time to start kind of unearthing those gems.
3: Um, to Will Shea's credit, too, you know, trading back in the second round, he's his ability to draft players – good NBA players in the second round far surpasses his ability to talk to the media, which is great. And <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a low, <laughs> low that's a low bar. No, but, you know, dude. he's, he's made some fantastic <laughs> choices and been able yeah. to unearth, you know, NBA role players in that second round. So I would, I wouldn't be opposed to Portland trading up, you know, you'd like to see it mm-hmm. if, if it doesn't jeopardize any other moves and really it probably shouldn't. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him jump back in. If they do then good. Hopefully they can, Nail another one.
2: I will say this where I do have reservation is, like you said, I don't think you can give up anything that could potentially jeopardize a a win-now trade. That said, typically the Blazers, when they do target to get back in, it's usually multiple second-round picks that are packaged together way down the line or a single Mm -hmm. second-round pick in cash or just cash. So if it's one of those type moves, I, I think it's harmless to do that. You're building a roster without, you know, really being firmly against that hard cap. So we're not just talking about the luxury tax here. We're talking about, you know, if the Blazers re-sign Norman Powell to what he could make on the open market and you keep everybody around just with those guys, you're talking about knocking on the door of a hard cap. And to have some cheap rookie guys on this team might not be a bad idea. I am not saying these guys are going to come in and play 20 minutes a night. What I'm saying is if somebody gets hurt or someone two guys get in serious foul trouble, you're talking about a guy who can come in, and play four or five minutes, which that's something the Blazers lacked last year. I mean, when Cantor got into foul trouble, when Nurkic was out, you're talking about, you know, throwing Harry, Harry Giles out there. And when Harry Giles was nicked up, I mean, you're talking about playing mellow at center. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about just getting some guys you can throw spot minutes at. I will say this. I believe the value of late second round picks has increased in the last few years mm-hmm. And I think that's mainly due to the league trend with how two-way contracts are used and how more teams are taking G League affiliates serious. So where these guys would typically just throw away second-round picks, I think teams are holding on to them because they have the flexibility of a two-way deal. It doesn't hurt their their books as bad. And you're developing players for the future because let's be honest – the Blazers have two guys on their team that really developed in the G League in Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Now, granted, Derek Jones Jr. didn't work out, but those guys cut their teeth in the G League. Now, you know, the Blazers gave up two first-round picks down the road, but to develop those guys in-house or get them to the point where they have positive trade value and you're developing them in-house, that just makes sense across the board. That's just a smart business move, regardless of where you are on Dame's timeline. So – even if they don't draft i think they will be active in the undrafted free agent uh market shortly after the draft which is kind of the guys i'm
3: focusing on when i'm looking at these profiles yeah and it's critical to continue to bring in young guys on cost-controlled contracts that hopefully you can kind of groom them into a serviceable nba player because that's just huge um i would agree with you though where those late second round picks i mean are used to be throwaways you could buy them from Robert Sarver and the Suns for for peanuts every year, but now that's changed with the G League. And you know, I think a lot of teams, which would be my preferred approach for Portland, you get a young, raw, lanky wing, you know, like a Derek Jones Jr. type, is a perfect example. Hope that your staff can turn him into a serviceable shooter from outside, and develop his game a little bit and turn him into a good role player. I think that's the perfect chance to take a swing on a guy like that, and so. You know, I'm not the only one that thinks that. There are a lot of smarter NBA teams out there doing the same yeah. thing. So, I would agree with you that they've take on, taken on a little more importance.
2: Yeah, I think basically, I think if you're looking to get back in, I think you're looking at buying, you know, a big, uncut gem instead of a smaller, already finished diamond. that's really not going to increase in value. You already know what you got. Yep. So, I think you do got to swing big. As much as I, I you know, the first profile I did was Luca Garza out of Iowa basically a finished product but you know the guy can shoot has some skills but i just think he's probably too slow for the nba so i would rather see them take a big swing on a guy who's still developing like you said somebody who has you know raw physical ability and some upside on that on that side of the ball yeah it was
3: kind of funny as soon as i saw that profile i was like he's exactly the kind of guy i don't want to pick up (laughs) for pick up just because I think his ceiling is just capped by his athleticism, and I'd rather take a guy who's a you know, athletic wing defender who can't shoot for shit, but you turn him into something that's reasonable, and yep. maybe you have maybe you have a role player there. But I see, I also see where you're going, profiling college basketball player of the year. I mean, he might be yeah. out there for us. So. I,
2: yep i I think that's probably it for this week. We're going to dive way more into the draft as it gets closer, and obviously, I think. As the postseason wraps up, I think we'll see a little bit more on the trade front, hopefully, or at least some free agent talk and see where the Blazers might be aimed. We'll see. The Blazers have definitely made it a point not to make any news in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got something to add to that, Brian? I was just
3: going to see who you like in the finals. Who do you think is going to take it?
2: I I, I was going to get to I, – I don't really want to pick anybody because I do think so much hinges on when Giannis is – what type of player Giannis is going to be when he comes back? I more wanted to focus on rooting interest, and I think there you can make a case for both mm-hmm. sides. I think the Monty Williams story, the Chris Paul story, I, I think those are, those are awesome. Those are easy things to root for. I've always been a fan of DeAndre Ayton. So it's tough to root against the Suns, but I will say this. I'll always have a soft spot for Pat Connington, but mainly – I think if you're the Blazers and you're a Blazers fan, I'm gonna root for the superstar who stuck it out in the in the small market and is getting rewarded by a run to the title. I think you know if you're a Blazers fan, you're hoping this can be replicated in Portland with Damian Lillard. So I'm not gonna pick, but I hope I, I'm pulling for the Bucks. I think is what I'm doing, and I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit. I think the Suns might have an edge in this series, but I, I'm pulling for the Bucks.
3: Yeah, I basically go the same way. I mean, you can find rooting interests on both sides. I'm leaning Bucks just because, exact same thing, man. I like the hometown star who stayed and won one. Um, but I also think the Suns have an edge. I think it'd be a tight series, even with. I think Suns might be favored by a hair, even with Giannis healthy. I mean, they've been blowing people out and just killing people. And so yeah. I, I think they'll probably take it, but I, I, I am rooting for the bucks.
1: Yep.
2: All right. Well, everybody, I would assume there's a few people who have not listened to us before that have, are listening now. Uh, again, we appreciate all the support we've we've have from our longtime listeners. And hopefully we have some new listeners now that want to be with us moving forward um, from the outset. And if you've heard this before, I apologize, but me and Brian set out to do this thing to make a podcast that we would want to listen to ourselves so hopefully we reach that stick around we we are building on this thing every every episode we put out so thank you everybody who stopped by um if you get a chance rate review give us
3: five stars if you can um brian you got anything before we head out nope thanks for listening appreciate you guys might be a weird off season buckle up we'll be here <laughs> all right
0: everybody have a good night Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.